This is me. This is how I win. Salutations, everybody, and welcome to The Unfranchised. If you're new to our show, this is a podcast where we talk about completely original films that are not sequels, prequels, reboots, or connected to any kind of existing franchise. Uh, my name is Bob, and as usual, I'm joined by my favorite frenemy, Stuart Smith. Stu, how you doing, buddy? You hanging in? I am I am making it about as well as anyone can, and in these challenging times... That's all we can ask, man. <laughs> so, uh, before we started today, I wanted to take a minute to say that we are recording this just a few days after the news broke that Chadwick Boseman had died after a four-year battle with colon cancer. It's a horrible, awful, tragic thing. I bring it up here specifically because the last episode of this show that we did was on The Five Bloods, a Spike Lee movie that Bozeman was featured in and that Stu and I both really liked. Although, Stu, you did like it a bit more than I did. Um, I did. Uh, we didn't talk about Bozeman much in that podcast, I think because he was sort of a tertiary character in that movie, an important character to the story, but still a little bit to the side of the main cast. And I just wanted to take a minute now to say that Bozeman was very good in that movie, um, as he was very good in everything I had ever watched him in. Cancer sucks. Uh, I actually know this because I had it last year. Uh, thankfully, I don't have it now. I should still be around for a long time. Chadwick Bozeman wasn't as lucky. I'm going to miss him, and I'm going to mourn all the future movies and great performances that I think we would have gotten from him if not for this shitty, shitty disease. Um, Stu, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I this this one, you know, I, I'm not one that really normally gets super emotional over celebrity deaths or you know deaths of of artists and stuff like that, but for some reason, like this this. This one really hit me. Like I, I found out pretty much, you know, around the rest of the same time as the rest of the internet uh, when it happened, and I just sat at my desk and I just, I just cried for like twenty minutes. It, it just, it just feels strange. Like, you know, I, I had written a, a Facebook post about this um, that same night, and you know, in there, I. I said that he just seemed like one of those actors that we would be watching for, you know, at least another 20 years or something minimum that he would just kind of, you know, be there being this, this strong, graceful presence uh, that you don't really see from a lot of young actors. And he, I mean, he hadn't even done that many movies. It was like 10, no. or 10 or 15 or whatever the number was. Yeah. I mean, and well, he, there, he'd only, he'd only been a leading man for about seven years, which is nuts. And it's just like, if when somebody like say Carrie Fisher dies, it's still awful and it's still sad, but I mean, you know, she was up there in years and 
you know, didn't always take the best care of her body. Right. And you, you know, just, you know, lived a, a rough it's, life. it's horrible, but it's, right. it's also like, well, she care. I mean, no one would argue that Carrie Fisher lived her life to the max. And, you right. know, it's like, yeah. but when someone who's only, was he 42 or 43? 40, 43. Yeah. It's just, uh. So well, I, you it, know, I don't want to fill up the whole podcast with this. I just specifically well, he, since we talked about the five bloods last time. And yeah. I also think part of the reason we barely mentioned him because he was just reliably good in that. Like he yeah. always is. Well, he was, he, he was, I think at the end of it all, he was the be- He was the beating heart of that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, what, they had to cast someone of sort of his stature to command yeah. the screen for that movie to work. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not sure who. Like, I honestly don't know who else you could have picked. Right. That would have projected what he did. So. We're gonna, yeah, we're I, gonna I miss will, him. I will forever lament, you know, not being able to see, you know, seven years, and he already canonized so many great performances, and somehow we still would have gotten better work from him. That's just unreal to me. So let's move on to the films we are here to talk about. And yes, I said films with an S. Welcome to the Unfranchised's first ever double feature. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing Good Time and Uncut Gems, two films that were directed and co-written by the Safdie brothers. They are both A24 films. A24 distributed Good Time and they produced and distributed Uncut Gems. Uh, they also did The Lighthouse, which we did an earlier episode on. Um, Another Robert Pattinson joke. Yes. Uh, I, Stu, I had suggested to you that we do Uncut Gems shortly after it hit Netflix, which, of course, made it available to pretty much everybody. And, Stu, you were the one who came back to me and pointed out the good time was on there as well, and then maybe we should do just do both of them. Um, I'm guessing now that I've seen them, it's because they're sort of so similar in tone. They definitely feel like they could be happening concurrently. Yeah. Like if you would just kind of peek or peek around the corner, you know, of, of Connie running down the street, uh, that you would see, yeah, you know, Adam Sandler's character, right? Uh, you know, running for his life as well. Um, you know, they, they they are very much of a piece. You definitely need a volume either before or after watching them. Uh, the, like these are, these movies are not for the faint of heart. Uh, they are just, they, they run 90 to nothing. Uh, there is never a moment where you are not either just in a ball of tension or just, you know, it, 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 these movies are incredible because they don't really feature good people. No, at at least not in, in, in you know, in leading roles. And yet they, the the brilliance of the Safties here, both in good time and in uncut gems is that they, they manage to make you feel invested in, if not in the characters, in what's happening and just dying to know what happens. And that is, that is something truly skillful, I think. So speaking of what happens, I'm going to drop a major spoiler warning right now. Um, Stu, I figure, look, Good Time came out in 2017. So if you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. And Uncut Gems was a pretty big deal last winter. So I feel like it's safe to talk about both of these. Agreed? Well, I, 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 yeah, I, well, and I think that just to, to discuss these to maximal effect, you kind of have to dip into that because, you know, it's central to 
what these movies are about and what they're going for. And I honestly don't know that like even knowing what happens will even necessarily (laughs) it's spoilers, but it's not necessarily a spoiler. Right. You know? Right. So, so, okay. Major spoiler warning. If you're listening, you may want to watch the films before you listen. Uh, let's talk about how we came into watching these movies for the show, how we kind of, you know, walked into this. And I can tell you, I came in completely cold. I had never even heard of the Safdie brothers. Um, Benny and Josh are their names. I had not heard of Benny and Josh Safdie until last year when two things had happened. Uh, the first was that I saw and loved the lighthouse and Pattinson had got cast as Batman. And when kind of those things happened, you, as well as a couple other people, had told me, oh, you like Pattinson? You like The Lighthouse? You, you should probably watch Good Time. So that happened. And then also Uncut Gems blew up. And, you know, it was a huge you know, movie last year, won a bunch of Independent Spirit Awards. There was a big push for Sandler for an Oscar nomination, which he didn't get. But it was a pretty big deal last winter. I planned on seeing it in the theater, and it just never happened. So I was jazzed when it hit Netflix. Um, the Safdie brothers have not been around a long time. Uh, no, they're, good, they're good, very young guys. Good Time and Uncut Gems are their fourth and fifth feature films, respectively, although one of those earlier ones was a documentary. So it's right. really three and four when you talk about narrative features. Um, did you did you have more awareness of them than I did, Stu? Or? Uh, no, I had I I I want to say that I st- really started hearing about good time around the, around when it came out um, because it just, it really kind of, you know, with a lot of the film critics that I follow on Twitter, you know, they really started kind of, uh, you know, crowing about it. And, but it, it really was when, when Pattinson was cast as Batman, you know, that, that right. was when you really started seeing more people talk about it. So I was like, okay, I, I've got to check this out. So I saw it before, uh, you know, before we did our, before we did our lighthouse podcast. Right. And I was like, okay, that's um, yeah, I'm sold. Yeah. This I'd have to, I'd have to go back and listen, but I think even in in that episode, you were like telling me and people listening to go watch good time. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, I, I definitely was, you know, I, I had seen it before that. Right. Um, but it's like when, once I did see it, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I am convinced. Yeah. So let's tell people what good time is. We're going to take these one at a time. We're going to do good time first. Uh, in Good Time, uh, Robert Pattinson plays a scumbag, basically, <laughs> a sort of low-life New York scumbag who basically pulls his brother, who is mentally disabled. And, and played by the co-director. Yeah, and played. It was he, which one's he played by, Josh or Benny? Do you know? Benny. Okay, so, so Benny plays his brother, who, you know, has a disability. Um, seems to be in a sort of, uh, I don't know if it's court mandated or their grandmother has him in a, in a program to, to, you know, to help, uh, to help him and to help him, you know, therapy, anger management, that kind of right. thing. Uh, and seems, Pat- seems like it's specifically geared towards somebody, you know, with a, you know, with, with a learning disability or, right. you know, a, a mental disability. So Pattinson says, no, fuck that. And pulls him out to go rob a bank. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which, well, in, 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 in kind of this, like, it's this kind of, of mice and men type situation, yeah. you know, where they're like, okay, look, I'm the only one that knows how to take care of you. You know, we're going to rob this bank. We're going to, we're going to, 
we're going to skip town. We're going to go find some land out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And we're going to have a life and you can live and you can do whatever you want. You know, nobody's ever going to hassle you. And so like at the very least, that's where you kind of get your sort of hook for Pattinson's character. It's like, okay, he's a scumbag. He cheats. He lies. Uh, he robs, but it's it's at least for a a, a noble end. The only yeah. his his only redeeming quality is that he really cares about his brother, yeah. but not in a, not in a great way, really. But it but it, but, <laughs> but an honest and true way. He cares. He he tries to take care of him in the way that you know this way. I mean, and he is. I mean, he's still very much a, so. A kid. In his own way, you know, this wayward guy that just doesn't really know any other way to do this. So predictably, the bank robbery goes very, very wrong. Uh, the brother, the brother ends up in jail, and then the, basically the entire movie is Pat, the saga of of Connie, who is Pattinson's character, right. as he attempts to retrieve his brother from jail, either via bail or other methods, and, like you say, escape to the countryside, I guess, is the plan. Right. It's almost in real time. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's basically... But it's basically this non-stop intense drama of him trying to extract them from the awful situation that they're now in. Right. Fair enough. You know, if I have to classify it, I'd say it's an intense character drama. There's not a lot of what you would call action, I don't think. Um, no. It's, it's more about Pattinson trying to worm his way out of one bad scenario after another. He, um, he, keeps, he keeps leaping from, you know, from out of the frying pan into the fryer, from the fryer into a furnace. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just one. It's a progression of one bad situation to the next. So it's it's a grimy movie. It's, it's seedy. It's, a- it's uncomfortable <laughs> to watch. It, yeah, there's there's never a time where you feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean there re- there really is no other way to explain it. And it, I mean it's mostly a movie about bad people. There yeah. <laughs> there are some exceptions there, but right. um, and I will go ahead and just say right up front this I preferred this movie of the two. Uncut Gems I yeah, know is the bigger movie. I think this is yeah. the better film. And you know, Connie is not a a good person. Uh but I mean, I can't think of a single reason to necessarily root for adam sandler <laughs> in, in uncut gems uh you know howard is just kind of i mean he's just this arrogant guy so do you think that's the main reason because you did say you also prefer good time correct yeah and do you think um, it's because the lead character is more sympathetic i i mean that that's definitely some of it i okay. find pattinson's performance more compelling it is um even if you know uh sandler's is more atypical um, and flashier but, right yeah. yeah uh but i just i i just find the whole scenario a little bit more interesting you know i i'm i'm a sucker for capers i'm a sucker for you know heist films even though this is really only a heist for like you know five minutes or so right but it's you know it's them trying to clean up in the aftermath of it uh right. and i you know i just find like the the characters that kind of come in and out of good time are more interesting uh than than those in uncut gems I'd agree with that. Like I said, it the movie feel well. First of all, let's let's finish up on Pattinson. I, I he rules in this movie. He rules. He's so good. Um, He's so good. And I know I just slobbered all over myself talking about Pattinson in the lighthouse. And I still think that's probably the the just the better, more impressive performance. Maybe just because of the archaic language and stuff. 
He's a lot quieter here. It's sort of a smaller performance. It's obviously a more realistic performance, but man, he's so fucking good. This, this is probably my favorite performance by him that I've seen. Like, you know, barring, barring that I, I haven't seen, you know, I still need to see like Cosmopolis and, you know, a, a, a few other movies of his, but I just, I really love the work that he does here. How he, bad would it be if I say that you could maybe start to make the case that Pattinson is going to be the best actor to have ever played Batman? Um, can we start to make that case a little bit? You could, you could make it. I think you can make that case. At the very least, he's the most diverse actor. And that's coming. Listen, I love Christian Bale and think he's a genius. And, right. and even Michael Keaton is one of my favorite guys ever. And I think always tremendous, even outside of his sort of comedy range. But right. holy shit, Robert Pattinson. No, like none of none of those actors have played the breadth of characters. And the weird, like just the the. Like, nobody's played as many weird characters as Pattinson has. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, be- I mean he, between, just... you know, between Harry Potter and Twilight and now and then now with Batman, he's just bouncing around, you know, weird indie films right. and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I I think and that's something that you I never really expected to say, because, uh, you know, I mean, he's he was whatever in in Harry Potter and. You could tell that he was not invested in the slightest in Twilight, and that shows up on the screen, which, you know, hey, fine. I, I get having nothing but contempt for the material, but it certainly <laughs> doesn't make you think, oh, yeah, this guy's a hidden gem. We just lost the Twilight fans, I want you to know, Stu, who, well, <laughs> however many were listening. <laughs> I, I will I will lose five minutes of sleep tonight. Um, and I just want, I'm not saying... I'm, I'm not here saying, God damn it, Robert Pattinson is a better actor than Christian Bale. I'm not saying that. I think he's a better actor than Christian Bale. I'm okay. Well, you're I, saying I, that. I, I will say that. And what I will agree with is and I that, say that it's, I'm, I, like, I like Christian Bale. I'm going to say like I'm just going to say that I'm at the point where I think the case can be made. I, I think it absolutely can. Okay. Christian Christian Bale is good. Christian Bale also doesn't have half the he he might have the range of Robert Pattinson. But he does not pursue the range of Robert Pattinson. I mean, I don't want to knock Bale too much. He he he's got range. He, no, he does. <laughs> but he like a lot of what you see. It's like okay, yeah, that's definitely a Christian Bale role. Whereas with Pattinson, like at so many turns, it's like oh wow, he's going for that. Right. Huh? Okay, sure. Like I don't. Robert Pattinson could play Patrick Bateman. But I don't know that Christian Bale could play Pattinson in The Lighthouse. I think that's fair. I really do. There's a great twist in this movie. Like I said, we're just going to spoil the shit out of this stuff. Uh, his brother ends up getting an old fight in a holding cell at the prison and ends up being transported to the hospital. Yep. And there's an elongated sequence where uh, Pattinson has to bust his brother out of the hospital and his brother's all bandaged up. He's got like head bandages on and stuff. And, and Connie spends like 30 minutes of the movie dragging his <laughs> unconscious brother around from location to location. And then surprise, it turns out it's not even his brother that he got the wrong guy. And I, I literally said like, holy shit and leapt off my couch. <laughs> it's such a good twist. And oh, I did not, I don't amazing. know if you saw it coming. I didn't see it coming at all. No. 
I don't know how you could. Yeah, it's so I mean, other good. than the fact that the guy's just kind of a screw-up. Like, literally nothing goes the way that he wants or plans it to. So, I mean, kind of like in retrospect, it should have been obvious. But, yeah, like, it, like that's just that's just not the kind of twist that you expect from a movie like this. And that's why it works so well. All right, Stu, I'm going to make some observations, and then you can agree with them, disagree with them, or speak your mind about them if you'd like. Um, one, I think there, even though it's never explicitly expressed in the text anywhere, I think there's an extreme racial component to this film and a racism component in so much that, uh, Connie and the other white characters in this movie basically just do what they want and take what they want through the whole thing often at the expense of sort of black people and minorities who get pulled into their web and then just tossed aside as soon as Connie's done with them. And I really feel like there's, I feel like there's a lot of subtext here about sort of white privilege, even among the scumbag class, (laughs) basically. Whereas it's like, I feel like, like Connie is always expecting to get his way and get what he wants at this movie. And, and like two or three, basically there are three minority characters in this movie that are there for him to use and abuse and toss aside. And I think that's intentional. Don't you? Did you? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. He's like I said, he's never really called out or acknowledged as a racist, but I think Connie's a racist and I think he's supposed to be. I think that was the Safdie brothers intention. Yeah, I could, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely said there's enough there to support that. Uh, something I found, I thought was interesting. At the end of the film, when the police finally nab him, the viewpoint totally changes. And we're watching Connie, who the camera's been right in the face of the whole movie, basically attached to him. When he's finally, you know, run down by the cops and taken into custody, we don't see it from his viewpoint at all. We see it from the viewpoint of a secondary character like 20 floors above in a high rise. And I just thought that was super interesting about how the viewpoint shifted for that scene. Yeah. Did you notice that at all? Did that strike you as, as an interesting uh, it, stylistic? It, yeah. I mean, in, in retrospect, certainly. So that struck me. Uh, the, so the timeline, so the movie, if I had one sort of criticism about this movie, it might be this, this might be the biggest. The timeline is wonky as hell. It, it basically feels like it's in real time, like 24 or something like, you know, right. you're with Connie every second. And I had thought that the movie was unraveling like over the course of maybe 48 hours or something. But then at one point in the movie, he's watching a news report about the robbery and the the anchor, the news anchor says that a week had passed since the robbery. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, when the fuck did the week pass? Was there like a time jump somewhere? Maybe there were a couple days that passed after the robbery before I almost wanted to rewind it. It's like, okay, what did time pass between the robbery and when bail was set for his brother? Maybe I'm not sure exactly, but I, I, there's some kind of little bit of a sketchy stuff with the timeline there, but it basically felt like to me, like all this happens in 24 hours. Right. It definitely feels that way. And it, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, bail, especially when it's, it's, when it's a situation like what happened, you know, bail doesn't get automatically set. I mean, that that takes a while. Right. You so know, there might have it, it been it, there might have been some days that passed earlier in the movie before I was fully tuned into what was going on. I, I mean, we'll see. Like, because I don't I, I never noticed that either, really. 
because it like it never gives even the slightest indication and this may be part of the point and you know it's kind of like a subtle way of approaching it like you know you never see connie wreck like right. either just sit there or sleep you know or, or whatever you know and uh, again like i said that's probably the point um but it definitely doesn't do you know the chronology any real favors who do you think is the saddest and or most pathetic character in this movie uh connie's girlfriend absolutely jennifer jason lee just, yeah gotta be that was my answer as well it's any other answer is wrong i mean right. she, i mean you know she's always fantastic but she she brings a level of just desperation pathetic desperation so first of all i can't uh, believe they got jennifer jason lee for this movie she's only in it for like 15 minutes right but she plays like the what 30 years older girlfriend oh, who basically his, his, his sugar mama yeah his sugar mama who tries to, who still lives with her mother and tries to max out her mother's credit card to get connie's brother <laughs> out thousand in bail yeah to pay connie's brother's bail money just so that connie will continue to give her some attention for however much longer and it's so sad and pathetic and just what are you doing what are you doing jennifer <laughs> and see i love i love that scene uh, just in general uh because it really just it's it's such a well-directed scene it made me think of like okay this is what robert altman would make if he like right. took some crystal meth because it's just this this amazing overlap of so many different things going on at one time characters talking over each other and you know things being discussed it's like you know it feels like you're typical altman sort of situation where everybody you know there's cross conversations happening uh left and right but it's just it's all so uncomfortable right because none of these are conversations just, anybody should be proud of no and especially <laughs> not hearing this you know over middle-aged woman yelling at her, at her <laughs> senior senior citizen mother you know, for for canceling maxed out credit cards. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, you just like you you feel awful, not for anyone, but just in general. Uh, the one other note I had is that I wanted to mention the score, which was by a gentleman named Daniel Lapotten. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but he goes by the stage name One O Tricks Point Never. Um, he also scored Uncut Gems, so I guess he does a lot of work with the Safdie brothers. He yeah. puts together a great synth score. This this is like a full-on synth score in this movie. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't feel 1980s, which no, it, feels, it... it feels very modern, which I think is a very unique thing. Because most of the times when you hear like a full synth score today, it's like meant to evoke like Faltemeyer or John Carpenter or something. You know, it's or meant to feel like Tangerine Dream, right? Or it's, Angelus it's, it's, or something. I think I think most of the time those scores are specifically like the Stranger Things score is specifically right. meant to evoke the 1980s. This yeah, this is this this is, one doesn't. This is, it feels totally modern and yeah. original, and I thought it was really good. Well, this this is definitely uh, synthwave is something that I've really started getting into as far as music goes <clears throat> over the last couple of years, and this this is definitely a a. You know, and synthwave just kind of as as a genre or subgenre or whatever you want to call it, 
is is certainly one that a lot of artists just use the eighties and as a crutch and an aesthetic crutch and right. you know aural crutch. But you know, you have a there are definitely a lot of of synthwave artists who, you know, definitely don't do that. And this is very much in line with that. I mean, you know, you could I wouldn't say that it's exactly like well, it's definitely not exactly like, but it's you know, it's I would put them as a contemporary of someone like Carpenter Brute. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his stuff. I have not. Um, highly recommend checking him out. Uh, if you played any of the Hotline Miami video games, uh, you will have heard some of his stuff in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, I, I it's fantastic. I I would and have actually listened to this just on its own. Like it's just great music. In addition to you know just capturing a, a, a tone uh, for for whatever's going on just incredibly well. So that was all the notes I had. I think it's a very good movie. Great score. Great patents and performance. Very intense. I gave it three and a half out of five stars on my Letterboxd journal. I think you could make an argument that's even better than that. Um, I would recommend it. Yeah, I give it four out of five. Um, did you have any other notes? Anything else you wanted to touch on that I didn't? No, I think we we pretty much covered everything. So let's move on to Uncut Gems, which from what I've read, Sandler wasn't the first choice. They were going to make it with Jonah Hill. Really? Jonah Hill was the was originally cast. He had to drop. I'm glad they went with Sandler. He had to drop out. Uh, Sandler was a massive fan of Good Time, and they had actually been discussing working together. So, uh, you know, they lost Hill and it just worked out. This is the movie that Sandler ends up doing. Uh, again, a movie with not many sympathetic characters. Uh, so Uncut Gems is a gambling movie. It's uh, Adam Sandler plays a sort of hot shot New York jewelry dealer, diamond dealer, jewel- jewelry store owner. I don't know. What jeweler, do jeweler to the stars, you know, two celebs and the stars <laughs> who also is a gambling addict. He's in debt. His family life's a mess. And it's basically like all his various worlds crash in on him over the course of a couple days. It's very similar to Good Time in that it has a laser focus on Sandler as its central character, Howard. Um, he's in pretty much every scene. What else do they have in common? Just the intensity, stew, almost the real-time yeah, aspect. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's, the, it is The a, thought that things keep getting worse and worse and worse and, like, how much worse can it get for this person? Yeah, if 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 good time is Robert Pattinson getting you know going from the frying pan into the front into the fire and into the furnace, I mean this is just this is that just cranked up. Right. It is chickens coming home to roost. The movie. Yeah, that is what this is. Right. This is a this is a man's life lifetime of shady deals and you know barely missing. <laughs> oncoming traffic by the skin of his teeth you know th- this is just everything finally coming to par that is, it, i mean that, it, that is what this is and like how he's kind of got this life where you know he's got he's got the nice house and he can like hobnob with celebrities and nba stars and musicians he's around the periphery of that stuff but it's like all right. it's all built on uh, you know lies and backroom dealings and him bar- right. borrowing against borrowing to make this bet and just at some point it's all going to come crashing down and the movie's about the point where it comes crashing down he is he is constantly stealing from peter to pay paul right and you know this is the movie where both 
Peter and Paul <laughs> wise up and realize what's happening and, you know, take it out of him. So on paper, this one is more up my alley because it's a gambling movie and I love gambling movies. I also <laughs> I also think I learned, though, that I like my gambling movies to be a little less flashy and a little more down to earth. And without NBA stars and weird John Amos cameos in them, because it's so random. I, I liked Uncut Gems. I would still recommend it. I think it's uh, in terms of how it was received last year. I would definitely it's put worth the, seeing I, one. I would put the overrated tag on it. And I also don't think it's as good as Good Time. Just specifically talking about gambling movies. I mean, <laughs> I'd rather watch Mississippi Grind again. I'd rather watch The Color of Money and The Hustler again. I'd rather watch Rounders again. I mean, I can go on and on and on about all the gambling movies I love. This would not make the upper tier. Those all have protagonists that, like, you actually kind of want to root for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, this movie is... It's a little less... It's a little flashier than Good Time. It's a, it's a little... It's less gritty. It's a little more polished, I guess. Haha, <laughs> polished. That, that was an intentional, but that was kind of a pun. <laughs> um, Sandler's, let's talk about Adam Sandler's, too. His performance is effective. I think it's very effective. It's not terribly deep or introspective, I don't think. I think that it's, he does exactly what he's, what is asked of him. Like he plays that character exceptionally well. And to be uh, fair, I love a, seeing – listen, I love seeing Sandler in this movie. It's a real fucking movie. It's not a dumb Netflix comedy. No, yeah. it's so, not. So I love seeing I, him here. And you can you can tell that he is invested. Yes, absolutely. He is 100% invested in playing this sleazy, pathetic, you know, just sketchy dude. And he does it incredibly well. It's a lot of screaming. It, it is. It's it a, is a lot of screaming. It's a it's very a, loud a movie. Of, yeah. Um, it's a lot of sneering, yeah. you know, and I don't know that the character is necessarily meant to have a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of, of character depth. I mean, this, this is a, this is a morality play mm. in a way that we don't really get from a whole lot of movies. You know, I think it's, I think it's intentionally meant to be, you know, this very flashy cautionary tale and, you know, and that's kind of, you know, that's where it all comes through i mean it's 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 almost like a it's it's the world's most hyperactive uh gritty violent version of aesop's fables right and so you're saying it's a it's a bit of a surfacey performance but that's the, what it was intended it to is. be it was intended to be that right. way yeah. to fit that story yeah i don't you know i don't know that it's necessarily acting like there is more depth than is to be found i you know i think that it's all it's all there you know what they what they intended is there um you know it just kind of you know you you kind of take your own baggage as far as like what you expect it to be or expect to get out of it you know and that may not necessarily be what they intended i again i like seeing sandler in this movie i wish he would do more like this i think he's good in it i know last year there were a lot of arguments that not only should he have been nominated for an academy of war award but that he should have won it I would not side with that argument. I just, I, I don't, I, I, I don't think, I don't think there's enough depth with this to validate that. I, I, I definitely don't think that he should have won it. I would have been fine if he had been nominated because, you know, a performance doesn't have to be deep to be good. True. Or to even be one of the best of the year. 
you know, whenever I think about like the kind of stuff that I want to see nominated, it's like, okay, how well do they inhabit who they played? Totally fair. You know, like this is going to sound insane, but Raul Julia playing M. Bison in Street Fighter <laughs> is an award worthy performance. Here we fucking go. I, Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> because he, in, he inhabits that character to a degree that literally no one else could do the way that he does. And it is supremely entertaining from start to finish. It's engrossing. And it's just, I mean, it's, it is what it is and it's fantastic. And it's almost that degree here. Like, you know, Sandler does precisely what this character was written to be. He does it in a very entertaining way. Uh, he does it in a way that that flies in the face of a lot of the stuff that he's done. You know, it's was it the best performance of the year? No, it absolutely was not. But I mean, I I think that he he inhabited that character. You know, I I would probably nominate him over friggin' Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I actually I would too. But my thoughts on the Joker are quite public. Not a huge fan. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's I mean, the thing is, is we look, we've talked about Sandler, at least on our old podcast, but there are Adam Sandler makes tons of terrible movies, tons of movies I'm never going to see tons of movies I don't care about. But I like Adam Sandler, the person I've been a fan since SNL. I like some of his earlier comedies. Yeah, I still I, love his SNL stuff. He seems like a decent I dude. I still love Happy Gilmore. He seems like a decent dude. I'm always rooting for him. So, like, if he would have been nominated he, or won an Oscar, I would have been happy just because it's Sandler. He's a decent dude who seems to take care of, you know, the people that he loves and works with. Sure. Uh, you know, you don't hear any real trash coming out about him, you know, how he treats his family or anything. Look, if him getting nominated for this, not necessarily even winning, just nominated, would save us from <laughs> God knows whatever atrocious Netflix quote-unquote comedy that we get next from him then yes please by all means true or false he's better in punch drunk love than he is here true i agree i mean that's not even a contest i don't think so either uh supporting cast lake heath stanfield is in this one of my favorite dudes i didn't know he was in it when i watched i love that mostly from atlanta (laughs) which i got obsessed with atlanta uh like last year but Man, whenever he pops up, whether it's have, like Knives Out or Get Out or wherever, oh my god, I love him. Have you watched uh, Sorry to Bother You? I have not. If you love, if you love Stanfield, I do. I love him. As soon as you stop recording, go fire that up. I think it's still on Hulu. It is fantastic. Like it's, it's really weird, and it's and it's great. Like it, I, it man, that that movie. I goes will places. check it out. Have you watched Atlanta yet? Uh, or seen uh, any of Atlanta? But, I've seen I I started the first season, and I I don't know why I stopped watching it because uh, I really liked get, it. You should get back to it. It's amazing, uh, and and yeah, I need to. I definitely and need actually, and considering the state of the country today, I can't wait till Donald Glover and the <laughs> fellas get back to it and figure out what they're going to say oh about God. America these days. It should be that would be appointment television. But Stanfield is just so amazing on that show. Look at the little bit of time he had in Knives Out, which is another sh- movie we've done on the show, right. and he's so good in it. We have Idina Menzel in a non-singing role, which I kind of always like to see because I'm a wicked fan. I didn't, even, I, I, I didn't recognize her. I'm a wicked fanboy, so I like when she gets work outside of her wheelhouse. I think I think she's great, and 
that one moment where she just completely dresses Howard down yeah. is just so good. Like, and she's just so good in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. There's just something about like the way that they did her makeup and the like, just the way that she carries herself in this movie. I just, I straight up did not recognize her. Can I also just say that, that the kids that they cast in this movie to play their kids, they they look exact, yes. they look exactly what Sandler and Manziel's kids would look like if those two had kids. Yeah, like it's like holy crap, oh. where did they find these oh, yeah. kids? They literally look like. I, like if you told me these kids were like the love children of Adam Sandler and Adina Menzel, I would believe yeah. you. Oh, I believe hundred percent. Um, I did love. I will say that the 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 Celtics game at the end, the playoff basketball game, which kind of the crux of the plot rests on. I think it's a terribly uh-huh. exciting sequence and cutting back and forth between the game itself and Howie's jewelry shop, and then also the casino where his bets are being placed. That is just a supremely exciting sequence of film like if you want to show people how to how to edit scenes really yes. well especially when it's between two very disparate locations masterful technically that technically have nothing to do with each other that's how you do it i don't know if you know this Stu, but i have been known to gamble on sports from time to time and uh, I, have known. I do think that this movie does a really good job of capturing the thrill and agony of being a sports gambler when you know you have more money than you feel comfortable with invested and then you end up hanging on every single play and i know <laughs> trust me it's for far less money than what howie is wagering in this movie but i still know that feeling i would certainly hope yeah that, i still know I, that i do I, I would be divorced if i was even at one tenth of what <laughs> Sandler's wagering in this movie, <laughs> but uh, but I do know the feeling. I do know what that feels like, and the movie captures it in film form really, really well. Wow. Uh, that's all. Like, what else you want to say about Uncut Gems? We were, but we're both uh, we both like this movie as well. Is that fair? Yeah, I I like this movie. I'm shocked that you have not yet brought up Julia Fox. Why? What? Did, what should I be? What? Should, why should I have? Make the argument. Because she's just like. I mean, she's. You you uh you enjoy uh talking about the ladies, Bob. That's not true. And she is a very attractive woman. That's in this not movie. you're you're making me sound like the host of a very different podcast than <laughs> a very different podcast than the classy establishment we run around here. She's a very attractive lady. Uh, she's good in it, and I actually think it's a good story because they like pulled her out of nowhere to be in this movie, right? Yeah, I, they yeah she um, she had only done a short film before this. Uh, but no, I, I, I actually, no, beyond her, her, uh, attractiveness, this is kind of like, like, I feel good for her at the end. Yeah. Like, cause she kind she, of, like I said, she's she kind real, of wins. And that end sequence when we're with her, that, by the way, we're, this, we're talking about Howie's girlfriend. She plays, um, Howie's, not his wife, who's Manzel or soon to be ex-wife, but his girlfriend, she's the one with his all his side piece. She's the, his side piece. She's the one with the big bags of money at the casino at the end. And she's really good in that sequence. Right. She's great in that sequence, and it's like, you know, she just kind of gets whipped around and mistreated by most everyone in the movie, and at the end of it all, like, she can kind of do whatever she wants. I mean, she's got a nice little cushy life ahead of her, which is nice after, you know, such a a nonstop, nail-biting, you know, breathe-into-a-paper-bag experience. 
I gave Uncut Gems three out of five stars on my letterbox feed, which means it's good. It's fine. It's, I would, you know, I probably don't feel the need to rewatch yeah, it ever, but I, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. It's, yeah. It's, like I'll, it was a good movie. I'll, I'll probably never watch either of these movies again. Like I'd watch Good Time again if, like, if, I'd watch Good Time. You again. know, a friend was, there was oh, I'd, I'd never seen it. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, let's watch Good Time. I'm not going to pop it in while I'm like doing laundry or something. Are we permanently on board with the Safdie brothers forever, or is it going to be a case-by-case basis on trailers and topics? And I think the Safdies have an incredibly promising career ahead of them. You know, just the, the, the skill and craft that they show uh, in these two movies alone shows them to be incredibly talented. Uh, they know it. They're very confident filmmakers, and I, I think they've got a lot to offer. Uh, I do hope that they, you know, start branching out a little bit and start doing something a little bit more uh, unexpected. It'll be interesting to see them do something that's not like a two hour, just nonstop intensity, real time, you know, that sort of vibe. It, it'll be interesting to see them maybe that... break away from that a little bit. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. Uh, their directorial style reminds me a little bit of Tony Scott's. Except with the slickness dialed down by like twenty percent, but the grittiness dialed up by like twenty percent. But sort yeah, of I mean, like you know, the, the kinetic article. energy of it reminded me of Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they are definitely. Uh, you can definitely tell that that Tony Scott was was an inspiration. I'm hundred percent by that. Okay, Stu, let's do recommendations. We're gonna do Good Time and Uncut Gems together. Are you ready? Would you let's go for it? Would you recommend these two movies to DC Universe superfans? I would recommend Good Time over Uncut Gems. Because they're boys in it. Because uh, the, bat, the bat is in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that. you know, if you're if you are still looking for like if all you know of Robert Pattinson is him being in Twilight and, you know, the awful 9-11 movie that he was in. Um. If that's all you know him from, then yes, absolutely watch this. Watch Good Time. I think you will be shocked at how good he is. Do we recommend these two films to people who think Grown Ups 1 and 2 are the peak of cinematic comedy? See, I, I, have, such a, I have such a hostile relationship with that movie. Should we as attempt, many of you know. Should we attempt to get... Sandler fans who love his dumb comedy, should we attempt to get them on board with these movies, or should we just stay completely segregated? segregated If you want to be cruel, sure, but yeah. I don't like. I think they, and this this isn't like a this isn't like a comment on you know you as a person, but just like if that's the kind of movie that you're like that you love and you're into, and like you know that's where your tastes are found you will probably hate this movie like if you want and are expecting a rob schneider cameo maybe better to look elsewhere yeah 100 percent. this really is nothing like anything that he's done before he's never played a scumbag like this and i think that it would just piss off a lot of his you know fans of his that really only know him from his dumb comedies um i mean he just plays a yeah, like I said, he's never played a scumbag like this before. I mean, he's just, he's not likable. He is not a good person at all. And I think that that would be really alienating. Do we recommend these movies to people who have heart conditions? Absolutely not. Do you think, 
Do you think it would be safer for them a... to ride a roller coaster or to watch these films? Um, probably to ride a roller coaster, especially if you've got like a Valium trip with you or something. I don't know. They're real. These are really intense movies. They really are. You know, like I, yeah, it's just, oh man. They're two good they're, ones though. They're definitely a. Yeah. Hey, what, like they're, what? They're very good at being what they are. Wonder Twins powers activate. This was like a dual recommendation from us, and we kind of came up with it together, yeah. and it was a good first double feature for us to do, I think. That's it, Stuart. That's all I got. Anything else you want to say about Good Time and or Uncut Gems? No, I think we hit it all. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks you at home for listening at your house or in your car or on your walk or wherever you're listening in these still pandemic-raged times. We appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks. Take care. The Unfranchised is a film podcast produced by the staff of Cultspark.com and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Your support is essential in our ability to highlight smaller films by growing our audience. You can follow our hosts on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor and at Stubidoo. For updates on The Unfranchised, please follow the show on Twitter at The Unfranchised or follow CultSpark on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CultSpark. You can email us at TheUnfranchised at CultSpark.com. Visit CultSpark.com for print reviews and essays on films in the horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and noir genres.